Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, boys, and of course, girls, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team, the number one podcast for video game development stories and the lifestyle of video game developers. Now, you know that I never come alone. I'm here with the co-host of the Game Dev Unchained podcast, Mr. Brandon Fam. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode. Please welcome our special guest this week, Claus Peterson. Hi, Ron. Hey, how's it going? Claus, where, where are you joining us, by the way? Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, in Denmark, based in Denmark, in a, in a town called Aalborg. Awesome. Yeah. So this is the part of the podcast where we ask our guests uh, where you came from, a little bit about uh, about your background, a little bit about your resume, just to introduce yourself to our listeners out there. Yeah, of course. So. Um, I'm uh, running an indie studio called Bedtime Digital Games. Uh, And yeah, we're 15 people working at the studio. And uh, the background is that uh, we started out developing games um, through our studies. And then we're fortunate enough to to have a a game prototype that we, uh, we could kind of build a studio around. Um, and that's about four years ago now. So, uh, still going strong. Congrats, man. Thanks. It's a big achievement. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, like one of the biggest things that, you know, that Larry and I have always made this podcast for is like making that jump either from AAA or from the very beginning, you know, as a student like yourself that started this project. Can you kind of walk us through the very beginning when you guys started with an idea, starting with a small team, like what was that process like just getting started? Uh, yeah, so actually it was kind of, a, a, I would say it's a fairly unusual way to start because uh, um, in, in Denmark, there's this it's a relatively small country. So a lot of the game, all game institutions uh, that are uh, educational institutions that work with games kind of know each other. So there's, they made this uh, collaborative um, semester uh, where you can meet people from other um, schools and come together and make uh, make games for um, half a year, and that's that's kind of like uh, that's that was what initiated uh, like this company. So that mean, meant that we were able to meet people with various different backgrounds. And then you have like uh, you're able to compose a team. Actually, the team back then was 18 people, so it's not a, it wasn't a small wow. team uh, at all. It was uh, very much set up to fail, uh, having a lot of people that didn't know each other <laughs> and just kind of like throw them in, and and it's almost like a like a like a long game jam. And uh, I also think like uh, it's meant to uh, to 
it is like a pressure cooker and, and really uh, get people to make a lot of mistakes really fast and learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's also what we did, but we also um, kind of uh, stumbled upon a, um, a prototype and, and like people that were really good at working with each other. Um, so we were able to like to make a prototype that we, uh, we felt had more than just uh, that, has, that, has, that has promise in a commercial way. So that, that's how it started. After we finished studies, we kind of like, you know, scaled down like the team to like these, these core members that uh, were needed in order to complete this thing. And then, uh, then we raised some money to, um, to kind of build a studio uh, that we would be able to pull uh, off making games. And uh, yeah, that's how we get started. Oh, nice. Did you uh, find that any of the relationships that you met early on in school, could you identify like key winners even at that early stage? Like, oh yeah, this is a guy that I'm going to work with or this girl is someone I want to keep in touch with? Uh, yes, that was, uh, I would say that's actually uh, fairly easy when you've been working with someone for maybe like two weeks Then you're like, okay, like this guy or this girl, she is like, there's something special to this, uh, you know. Um, so yeah. Well, well, then on the other side of that coin, because I, I have to ask, how quickly did you identify the losers? Like, yep, he's definitely one I need to avoid. No, like these. You don't have to say their uh, name. You don't have to name names. Sometimes it's also just, just about, describe them. You know, some, some people you can you can like uh, are team players, and some are you know maybe more distant to like work in, in another. Uh, way and and some you can also easily identify people that like could you know be interested in in working in a startup uh, game um, or a game startup uh, type of environment and uh, you know flourish in, the, in that way and some you can also identify people that really needs a, a, maybe a much bigger organization to uh, to really um, mm-hmm. get most out of the talent. Yeah. So like, you know, game jamming for that long, you know, it was kind of like a, like a sink or swim type of situation, 18 people starting out, uh, never really meeting, met with each other. What were the hours like? Did you, it was, was it like a regular kind of school, school hours where you guys were determined to meet each other uh, and commit to a certain time? Like yes, how, what, and did you guys have a traditional uh, producer role? Was that the teacher or what exactly? How did you guys get so organized with yeah, so, people so that what, never met each other? Yeah. So what you do is you, you start up doing some kind of, you know, you, you start up doing a, a, a game in a week mm-hmm. with the 18 people. Like this is very much to just tr- trial and error and kind of like uh, just understand where each other are. And then you do some, some small, um, task along the way kind of like get you know the team to know each other and and you learn a lot and then like what the the core of the uh, whole um studies is six weeks where you just really um you have uh you have six weeks and then you get the computers and the software and then it's like just now it's up to the uh to the producer to kind of organize everything and get this thing uh going um, but as kind of like roles are defined uh, prior, so it's you you are you are a programmer or you are um, 
artist or a designer or whatever, like those roles are defined. It's much more how you like interact with each other. That's, that's just left to, uh, you know, the team to find out. Did you find that your experiences there, uh, I would assume obviously help you get like a leg up for preparing yourself for game development, but now having your own business in game development, were there any sort of early resources or opportunities in your schooling that helped you with like business management, business development, contracts, taxes, any of that kind of stuff? Uh, probably not. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, I'll say it was much more on a, um, but you learn a lot of that. Like that—that's something you you might have like been you able to like figure it out on your own. Like you, okay. you can study these things. But one of the things it's very hard to study is was actually making games with a team, and that's like kind kind of what that program was for. It's like giving you some of the things that you are not able to like study from a book, right? Yeah, there should be a school that's like the game jam school. It's just twelve game jams in a row. <laughs> You learn so much. So when you were, um, you know, finally settling on a game that that worked, and, and I'm assuming it's one of your earlier games. Uh, which game was it? Was it the chronology or the bedtime stories? That came yeah, so out it, this game jam? it was the game that called the uh, Back to Bed. Mm. Okay. Yeah, with a sleepwalker and uh, set in this uh, surreal, um, surreal world, inspired by Salvador Dali and those kind of things. Yeah, that's the that's the game. So, so how long did it take for you to develop that game to finally be like, this is the one that we want to take it to finish? So that was uh, that, that was that was six weeks. Uh, it took us from like starting with the uh, an idea about a sleepwalker and to having a prototype that kind of like is is close to. Uh, what the final game ended out with, but it's like just as a prototype, I think we had like 10 levels that you, we put up in the internet, you could play for free. And, and that was the prototype that we then later on uh, expanded and polished and uh, made, uh, you know, commercially viable and put it on Steam, put it on uh, um, iOS and Android, PlayStation. Um, but uh, yeah, the original product took six weeks and then, uh, I think it took maybe a year to uh, to make the foundation of the company and uh, acquire funding, and then uh, I think we took maybe seven or eight eight months to kind of like finalize the game. Oh, nice. Were there any major hiccups that you guys had to overcome, especially you know being like students going professional? Finally, uh, what were some of the major things that you really realized? Like, wow, there's a gap between <laughs> what we're actually trying to do now and what we were expecting when we started. Oh, yeah, that was a lot. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think like the mentality uh, we had was still that we are like this is a journey where we are trying to learn a lot. Mm -hmm. so, like we're not we we didn't put ourselves in a position where it's like this is all or nothing. Like we need to succeed in order for this to to work so we had like uh acquired enough funding for us to to really treat this first game as like a trial and error experience where we could um you know have a flexibility with what we we're trying uh it's it's definitely um you know some of the like what it's really you you, it, you really uh it's really clear when you start developing a game commercially 
that it like the last 10 percent of the game it's like it takes really long like to get it really like right Mm-hmm. And, and like the polish space is just much longer than what you're used to when you you do game game stuff yeah. what kind of mentorship did you guys have to help you guide through all this process because you were talking about game jamming uh and and finally taking the step towards finishing this game to finally acquiring uh funding to to all to take it to to the last ten percent and and finish it all the way through. Like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there were there were a lot of trial and errors. But what kind of help did you guys have to guide you through this whole process? Because that's a lot of <laughs> like uh, googling. I would yeah, I would imagine. So generally, uh, I'd say that uh, like everyone has their their um, professors and people in the uh, just in the industry in general, and then Denmark is super helpful and supportive um, of everything we did all the time, and all they are always ready to uh, help us if we reached out. Uh, however, like the Danish uh, game industry is probably not that it's not that many companies that's uh, that done that's in Denmark. You know, it's not that mature, so there isn't that many kind of like real mentors that kind of did all the steps we were taking. So it's, it was very much about, you know, finding different mentors that could help different areas of the, um, the growing experience. Yeah. Well, what other resources are available where you are though? Because I, I know there's a lot of people who are interested in unity and a lot of developers, but you know, maybe idea wise or inspiration wise, are there things around you that you can kind of pull from that, allow you to stand out as a game developer? Are there things that we don't know about, about this uh, niche community that's really making waves in the indie market? <laughs> uh, good question. Um, I don't know if there's, I don't think there's any uh, any like, major thing that sets us apart, maybe, I don't know. I, I think one of the things uh, we really do well in, in Denmark is, is kind of have an open, uh, you know, talk openly with each other about mm. what's going on and, and really be able to share what our experiences are. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that kind of thing. So <laughs> we, we probably have kind of like an, because uh, we're a small country and a very small industry in the country, it's like uh, it's us versus the rest of the world, kind of like a, a mentality going on. Yeah. Yeah. So in America, we have a lot more clandestine kind of development practices. <laughs> you know, we'll talk about the project when we're just about to release it, you know, <laughs> like it's marketing discussions, dev vlogs and postmortems, but it's it's starting to turn though. I'm starting to see a lot more companies over here try to be a little more proactive about sharing their developments a little early on, you know, without giving away the full recipe before the cake is done. But yeah, it's. Uh, I definitely give you guys credit for that. I wish we did more of that here. The transparency would help the industry and it would help the customers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So the funding part, like even with living in a country like Denmark that is super helpful with um, independent uh, game development and uh, just business in general, I'm pretty sure that's still a pretty... Uh, uh, a tough process, right? Um, can you kind of walk us through how did you guys acquire investment? Like what kind of preparations that you have to uh, be involved in to, to make that work? 
Uh-huh. And how many rejections did you guys go through before you settled on one? <laughs> so it wasn't. Um, I, would, I would say we we um, one of the things that was really helpful in in order to uh, get funding was actually we we did a Kickstarter for Back to Bed, like a, a small Kickstarter. This was back when Kickstarter was just really like this, you know, big thing blowing up. And uh, it felt like if you had a prototype of a game, you should probably try to raise money on Kickstarter. And uh, we were like students and like that, that seems like maybe we can raise, raise uh, enough money to like, that would be it. We just need the Kickstarter funding. Uh, and we, uh, we were able to raise uh, some money on the Kickstarter, not enough to like complete the game uh, basically. But what, what it's, what really works, uh, or it's, what is really helpful about, uh, raising money on Kickstarter is that you're able to show this to investors or, uh, some fund, funding partner that has already interest in this game. And you're able to have people, um, you know, put down money, uh, for your, for a game. That was like, a, that was probably the biggest thing that helped us, um, in, in the funding process, which we could already point to uh, money raised through Kickstarter. How easy was it for you to find, you know, more people interested in funding your projects early on? Uh, I would say we have in Denmark, there's not that many uh, opportunities in funding. There's maybe like this, this one institution that, that, that funds most of the games in Denmark. And it's very much about maybe uh, convincing them to uh, believe in your team and your project. And, and then, then uh, you have some solid chance for uh, uh, funding. I bet yeah. the same, like the same people go to the same institution, right? Like they've seen all <laughs> the indie games. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's cool. Are there any uh, game developers that you look up to yourself personally, career-wise? You know, any big-time designers or just game studios that you would really like to kind of emulate or just you take inspiration from? Well, uh, we have the uh, a Danish company uh, called Playdead in Denmark, which made uh, who made uh, Limbo and uh, Inside, which is definitely a source of inspiration mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to like, the quality of games they produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, the uh, the super giant uh, games with Bastion and Transistor Pyro are also like uh, they seem to really uh, know what they're doing, and it's a huge inspiration uh, to us. When we uh, whenever they make a new game that come out, uh, we make sure to play it and uh, and kind of uh, see what what kind of things they're doing. They seem to be extremely good at uh, pulling off. Uh, you know, good games with uh, some smart, clever um, design choices and, uh, and aesthetics. And it just seems like they really know what they're doing and, and taking this, this smart ways uh, uh, in approach. Oh, yes. I like it. Well, I mean, looking at the catalog of you guys' game and just just looking through all the games that you guys have made, like the art style is standout. Even before me looking at the game designs, like you guys have such a distinctful, uh, strong art style with all your games. Like, was that a decision that you guys always decided on before doing anything? Where it's like, all right, we got to make it look good first. <laughs> or, I mean, how, what was your approach and what was the strength that you guys wanted to portray when 
making your games? Yeah, so I think this was um, this comes naturally from like when the first game we developed back to bed. Like the strong point of that game was definitely, or like what people really, um, you know, were saying was good about this game was the aesthetics mm. and how good it looked. So it was natural natural for us to kind of, you know, make that a uh, focal point of our studio. So that's what we've been doing, you know, treating, uh, having like really strong aesthetics for our games. Actually, even before we start making, uh, you know, maybe the design and uh, in, into depth, we have a, a strong visual um, identity of, of the games. Nice. What was the inspiration between, uh, behind the aesthetics? Was there a source that you guys always go back to when you're... Um making these games not so it, it wouldn't necessarily be the not, not the same source but right. um we definitely took try to our artists try to look at uh a lot of other mediums than uh than just video games mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of uh um surreal art and uh and um children's books and kind of like these uh, illustrations uh, uh made by various artists is uh has is is something we look at, but it's a, it's not like one kind of genre or anything. It's, it's much more like a, a vast, uh, array of different artists that we, uh, we look into and, and kind of like uh, take inspiration from. Well, here's a quick question for you. Yeah. When you chose the name for your company, did you go through like a huge list of alternatives first before settling in? <laughs> Yeah, so you do, but so here's the thing. Uh, we, we we made the game back to bed before making a game for a studio. Okay. And and the, so obviously those two are kind of connected. Mm-hmm. The time, back to bed. Mm-hmm. And the, um, you know, the thought process behind that is that I kind of saw a lot of games um it's like the games get more attention than the studio and and the games are more recognizable than the studios often are and i would see people saying you know this studio uh i don't know them and then when you mention the games they made oh okay i know all those games mm-hmm. so there's like a disconnect sometimes between knowing uh yeah. the studio uh, is, and the game so I, I kind of wanted to make it easy for people to um to uh, remember who made it back to bits and kind of the attention that game got early on, uh, kind of like built that brand, uh, built upon that brand. Um, I guess it's pretty easy, man. <laughs> it's like, well, Larry, we had a success and then so we wanted to make sure that we ensured the success. It's like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> So you yeah. got investment, you, you guys went through the Kickstarter campaign, you finished the game, 10% was the hardest. And I think you were mentioning about a year to two years, right, of the whole process to make Back to Bed. Um, so upon release, you guys put it out in the world, must have some type of idea of how it would do, but you never know with these type of things. You just let it go and be uh uh out there in everyone's hands 
how was that the the reception the success uh and you know the the validity to to make the second game and then the third game eventually so yeah it was uh definitely getting your game out uh to the real world is is uh it's really something special when you're like uh it's a real stark contrast to being uh, a student and, and developing games uh and game games this this was um so it was an extraordinary experience getting all these uh, people to play your games and uh and i don't know it's it was uh, definitely fun but we were also really um you know early on kind of uh set up minds to that that we're not going to dwell with this one game we're we're going to continue making games mm. um and and so i don't know if we like i don't think like we we ever like just uh, t- took time to appreciate that uh, people were playing our games. We're just more like, uh, um, yeah, continuing developing. Are there any genres that you're excited about exploring with your game company right now? And you don't have to reveal any that's in progress, but you know, just is there anything that's on the dartboard? Like, yeah, we might do something like this one day or. So I think it's uh, pretty interesting uh, having games that that up till now we the, our games haven't had that much that much replayability, mm-hmm. but it seems like that's um, that could be something we would uh, explore in the future, uh, bringing our our aesthetics and world creation to um, to games that allow for more replayability. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Do you have a favorite type of game genre yourself? when you unwind <laughs> yeah um so i guess uh i i'm personally i i want to play games that has a really clear goal mm-hmm. and don't necessarily i don't need to think too much about it so for instance games like rocket league where you can like get, when you get like really into uh you know, you get into a flow zone where you're like, you're not, you're not uh, thinking very really hard, but it's more like you're, it's reflex based. Uh, you know, but those kinds of games uh, will t- typically be the games I play. Also, I guess because uh, I think about games uh, a lot uh, during the day, and you kind of want the ga- games to play that doesn't like, just you know, don't want hard puzzle games. You really need to like. Get, uh, when I get home, that's that's not what I'm I'm looking forward to. It's more unwinding games, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, let's shake it up a little bit. I actually designed the game. It's really cool. I think it's awesome. Brandon's played it a couple of times while we were playtesting this. And now we released it onto the public. It's called The Fast Five. Would you like to know how The Fast Five works? Yeah. Okay. The Fast Five is very simple. I'm going to ask you five rapid-fire questions, and all I need for you to win is five rapid-fire answers. Okay. You ready to play? Ready. Okay. Question number one. What is your favorite arcade stand-up game? Uh, the, the arcade. Uh, it a while. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I have to uh, um, pass on this one. I I don't have oh. any arcade games. Like, 
you do you have to understand that's not the arcades is not a thing in Denmark. It was like it's oh, okay. All right, it but, doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't really exist. They, they, they never really did. So uh, sounds like a business uh, opportunity. You know, the, the dance dance revolution looks fun. Oh, okay. All right, fair enough. Uh, Konami sent a DDR over to uh, Denmark. That's a Konami game, right? Anyway, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question number well, two. I, I, well, let me do a follow up question. To that is that is there a reason why like arcades are just were never a thing in Denmark, or it it just died off, or I don't think it ever took off. Okay. So people yeah. just never left home <laughs> in group <laughs> gatherings. I'm, I'm not, I'm they not, play Street I'm Fighter. Sure. It's like, uh, wasn't this something you did in the 80s? Or there? I, I, yeah, I think. Uh, here in America. I, I sound so old. <laughs> it's actually, we still have uh, video games, bars, arcades, some. Yeah, we have like Dave and Busters. Theaters, malls, Dave and Busters. Yeah. A arcade by itself exists a lot less, but them as a like auxiliary like tie into some sort of bigger attraction is okay. still still big. All right, let's rewind. Uh, let's just say <laughs> what is your favorite video game? How about that? We'll start with that. My favorite video game period uh it has to be the video game period we're in now. I think it's the most exciting. Okay. Awesome. Modern uh, to be honest, I think uh uh, we see uh, games with a lot of creativity mm-hmm. and uh, a lot more, a lot more variety than uh, than we probably did uh, or have ever seen before. So uh, I think I'm enjoying the the game period we're in now. That's that's fair. Question number two: Roughly, how much would you say you've spent on buying video games? Uh, ten thousand bucks. Oh man! All right. Question number three: <laughs> Name one movie director you hope never goes into video game development. Uh, I, um, Quentin Tarantino. I would. Uh, I would. Uh, I would love for him to continue making movies because oh. I enjoy him so much. That's a nice. That's a nice dodge <laughs> of the diss. I like how you did that. <laughs> Question number four: What's the most important tool you use for game development right now? Um, well. Does Unity count? Unity counts. That's uh, that's I guess that's a focal point for uh, our studio uh, since we're very much focused on making uh, games on multiple platforms, and that mm. that Unity enables us to do that. All right, and the final question, the boss question. This one comes from last week's guest, Michael Rudd Jacobson, and he asks, "If you made a game mechanic that was brilliant to you and your team." but it wasn't being received well by your audience. Would you forsake the mechanic to help sales and customer retention? Or do you release the game as is to maintain the vision of your product? Uh, you kill, kill the mechanic. All right, money, money. Well, you actually did a pretty good job. You did way better than Michael did <laughs> speed-wise. So, yeah. As your gift, I actually require one last question for you, and I need a question to ask the next guest that we interview. It has to be game-related or game-involved. It's up to you. Okay. Um, so I need to come up with a question now. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, so I would like to know how. What's the uh, what? What is the uh, most efficient way to uh, market your indie game. All right. 
and it's in stone and we will ask the next quest whoever they may be and i need to congratulate you on your speedy time that was impressive that was imp <laughs> i think you got seven questions so that's also a new record <laughs> yay hey congrats <laughs> so i want to kind of shift the conversation we kind of talked about how you get started um talking about the type of games you were making aesthetic inspiration I kind of want to switch it over to the uh, business development side, uh, managing a studio, right? So you guys mentioned uh, when you guys were game jamming, it started with 18 Strangers. I mean, how big are you guys right now with the studio? We have 15 people. 15 right. people. So 15 people is pretty big for an indie studio, right? Uh, usually it's with the numbers, uh, we've talked to teams probably ranging from as little as maybe three that goes up to 10 uh and 15 and like 20 20 ish is like when you can still call yourself indie <laughs> before going to triple i level so 15 people in the studio out of the studio like how are you guys uh operate uh, do some people work remote or is no, it everyone under yeah. one roof so uh no everyone is uh in the same uh same office um, I guess one of the reasons why we are 15 people is actually that we uh, have multiple games in production mm -hmm. at the same time, which is probably uh, different from a lot of other um, studios like us. But we uh, which we kind of want it, um, it. It it enables us to uh, shift people back and forth between projects um, and. So we won't ever have people not uh, knowing what to do or just idling. Mm -hmm. So we always have games like uh, in production and ready to uh, receive receive new people. So we often have more tasks to do than we have people. So we're always keeping busy. Unless. Was that something that you guys discovered? while you guys were starting out or was it always in the cards where like hey you know we started this whole thing game jamming we like that process having multiple ideas going at the same time and seeing what sticks what fully develops was or was it literally like you know steve over there just sits down and chills for like 10 <laughs> 10 days we got to figure out a better way to utilize everyone all the time <laughs> Uh, I'd say it was probably none of those. Uh, <laughs> it, it was much more a, a, like a, a, a planning exercise in like, you know, looking uh, forward to and, and planning out uh, what to do and kind of like coming up with a business plan where we can, where we could leverage uh, and, and would be able to, you know, it's, I think it's about when you start hiring people, right? Right. Then you're like, should we hire this guy or girl? Um, you know, but we're only we only have this one project. What happens when when we are done with this project? Do we like, you know? So we, I would like to have you know hire people that I know that we can like hire for an extended period of time. Like you, you you come and work for us, and you're like this is your place to work. You're not yeah, you know, it's just a. Uh, uh, a freelancer we we have to sit in our office like you you get become part of the team so i naturally we wanted to have planned out uh multiple uh titles so we always knew that was, there was some um 
some work to to be done. Mm-hmm. And it, it also helps us in in terms of it takes fairly long to to make our games since they are uh, kind of heavy in asset production. The, the, our last, last game, Figment, took three years to make. Mm-hmm. So you kind of also want uh, maybe to be able to release games uh, more frequently than every third or fourth, fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps if you have multiple games in production, then you can, then you have, uh, you know, a better economy basically because you can like release more frequently. Wow. When you look at the frequency that your studio has though, is there any sort of pressure to kind of maintain or deliver that? Because when I think of indie, I definitely don't think of a three-year project schedule because <laughs> that's, that seems like it's uh a nightmare to deal with if you're not tied to a publisher, if you're not tied to like guaranteed funding, you know, and I know that Kickstarter helps early on, but how do you, how do you keep the oil going when you know that your payday is still two years away? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. Well, um, you, you guess, I guess you just have to like be, uh, be a little strategic about how you, uh, you know, acquire funding and, and finding find funding partners that kind of like understands how game development works. And uh, uh, so, but it's it's definitely not the, it's, it's an ongoing thing uh, for a, a studio like us to, uh, to secure funding. Um, I think it, one of the, the things that's also pretty, uh, Neat about uh, developing games in Denmark is that we have a, a you know we have a few funding schemes uh, that uh, allows for um, grants to develop games for. Mm-hmm. So we have been fortunate enough to uh, supply our our um, you know studio with uh, some grants from now and then uh, that helps uh, the oil or the yeah helps oil the, the, the machinery. Hey, do you mind if I apply for one of those through your studio name? Because <laughs> we don't have that over here. <laughs> yeah, we got to funnel some grants from Denmark. Yeah, I don't know uh, exactly how that would work, but... He's uh... <laughs> like, sure, Larry, I keep the idea, though, right? Would you ever consider publishing other people's games as you guys, you know, grow? You went from solo, you know, or excuse me, small team to 15. Your studio is doing well. You're growing. You've got these longer projects. As a business person, do you think it would ever make sense for you all to, you know, partner publish maybe some smaller companies' games as an opportunity to make some money in between the big paydays as you guys work? Well, um, it is something that I have uh, been considering, and um, um, definitely think that would like make sense. Maybe, maybe not right now, mm-hmm. but as we constantly. Uh, you know, gain more knowledge about uh, releasing games, and and uh, it it would make it could make sense for us to uh, to partner up with some guys. I, I love how uh, Double Fine mm. uh, is is doing with the uh, like their I think they call it Double Fine Presents, right? Mm. Where they kind of it's not really a publishing thing, but they kind of you know yeah. uh, help each other out and kind of leverage each other's. Uh, they they try to help. Um, other games by leveraging their uh, partnerships and experiences. Uh, mm. Something like that would uh, be uh, amazing down the line, but uh, it's probably not going to be. No time soon. 
Ah, oh, man. <laughs> uh, so there's big news actually happening that's kind of shaking up the game industry right now. Uh, Apple is kind of rolling back how people can just freely implement loot boxes, you know, into their games, both mobile, console. It seems like there's going to be a shakeup that kind of rolls down the line. What's your personal take, I guess, on the whole like loot box strategy for premium games, like $60 games. And then like, and then we also have this like microtransaction scheme where you're getting RNG loot. How do you personally feel about something like that? If you don't mind me asking you. Yeah, I think it's a kind of a tough one actually. Um, Cause I'm, I'm uh, all for like a, a free market. Uh, and, uh, but I think it's you know definitely when you target younger people, it's it, it's it's uh, you know that's where the the, the big issue is. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess adults can kind of like you know do with the, their money what they want to do with them. Uh, it's a tough one. I, I'm. Uh, it's not something like I, I don't think we'll ever see a loot box in uh, any of the games we do. Mm-hmm. But that's that's you know. That's up. I think you know it should be. Hopefully, the customers would like kind of like understand these things and kind of like be aware that you know this is they are tricking me into you know buying more things than I and and using more money on the product that I should be doing. And then they should probably stop buying the products that they that that use those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Yeah, where um, creativity should ne- never be throttled. Like uh, uh, the buyer should be trusted enough to make their own decisions too. So, because who knows, like what what kind of rules that can be that will be set for for developers that would uh, hurt their game design in some way that we didn't even think about, right? So, I. Uh, I, feel, I understand, like, just <laughs> helping the kiddos out there not make their parents' wallet hurt by just buying in on everything. But at the same time, it's, it, it feels kind of uh, forced. Um, and I, I'm not sure yet if it's going to be a beneficial thing or not. Um, but that, that kind of goes into a topic that has been coming up a lot lately with the podcast that we've been asking our, you know, uh, AAA developers and indie developers, right? One of the biggest things has been, and you kind of mentioned this before, the replayability or the extension of a, a, a single player narrative type of experience, especially in indie games, you know, um, just to bring it up a little bit, you, you know, uh, Visceral Games, EA, just got shut down for their star Wars game. And one of the biggest thing was because it was a single player experience and EA themselves like don't see that as a, uh, an incentive to, to make more money, right. They, they, they're more into multiplayer. So as an indie developer yourself, you know, you're looking at this, you know, the replayability being an important thing, but at the same time, you know, people still love single player narrative control experience like what's your stance on that and um what what are the type of solutions are you you guys been kind of thinking about or or at least what you've seen has worked in this space 
Uh, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, so I definitely think there will always be a, a market for uh, single-player narratively driven experiences. Uh, but it's definitely a... Uh, uh, the trend seems to be going uh, towards uh, like more multiplayer games and uh, and replayability. So I don't know. It's uh, it's a tough one, but it's I guess it also comes down to like what people are willing to uh, pay for these days. That, that's mm -hmm. kind of like that's what we have to adjust accordingly. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you look into your future as a game developer? And, you know, do you see the runway in front of your company where you guys currently exist being something that's going to be a long-term solution for you? Are you excited about continuing to develop, you know, multi-year projects? Or are there any opportunities for you guys to creatively pivot that you might be exploring without breaking NDA, of course, uh, and like or spoiling any project news that may be on the way? But just, I guess, what are you thinking about the forecast of, the game industry for indie and mid-level developers? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I definitely think uh, we will continue the, the path we kind of like laid out uh, now. And I think it's a, it's a really exciting uh, time to uh, be developing games. There are so many opportunities that are opening up new markets, uh, you know, uh, uh, we can uh, we can start leveraging it. That's that's easier accessible than ever before. Um, China uh, is one of the like new markets. It's just yeah, it's huge uh, opportunity. Yeah, there. Well, I think I read yesterday that uh, it's now twenty five percent of the total game, like all um, money spent in games mm. is spent in, in, in China now. So uh, that's something like we're looking into, like uh, establishing strong partnerships in China. Um, There'll be new uh, markets that uh, that that kind of mature, like India and uh, and uh, Latin America. That, mm -hmm. that uh, will help, like studios like us, to uh, you know um, be able to just get our games out to more people and uh, and, and create a business on that. Oh, nice. So the international audience, right? Yeah. I have no idea. Like, if I want. <laughs> <laughs> I know China, I know India. I mean, I know people game in other countries, but if I have a product, like, I don't know if you guys, through practice, how exactly would I be appealing to those guys? I mean, partnership <laughs> is a thing, but like, where do I even look for it? Is it a Google thing? Am I Googling <laughs> India publishers? <laughs> like, how exactly do I approach the subject uh, to get that going? Uh, yeah, so if, <laughs> I I tried googling the googling thing and uh, it, it didn't help me. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a good joke. So, uh, the 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 other thing you can do is uh, you, uh, you you do uh, these business uh, game business conventions. It, it, mm. like, if you do uh, if you go to GDC, uh, it, you will definitely be able to uh, you know meet someone like some kind of partner uh, that that you know could help you uh, get your games into uh, new markets. Um, so it's about seeking out those opportunities. What we've been doing is mostly seeking these out uh, on these kind of type of conventions, uh, GDC, Casual Connect, uh, Game Connection type of uh, conventions. 
sometimes you're also uh, lucky that uh, the connections come to you, that you have created a game that like that they see an opportunity with and try to reach out to you. So you know, trying to uh, to create visibility for yourself in your game can also help you uh, like the the connections come to you. Mm-hmm. Was there a, a, a surprise? that was awaiting you when you first became a, a business owner, what was the first major, like, Oh man, this is real. <laughs> you know, like what was the first like real, like humbling moment that you guys overcame, uh, putting things together and getting going. Uh, it's a good question. I think like what, the, like when you had to do an, um, and, uh, negotiating salary with a uh, when you're like hiring someone is like a really I, th- I think like the, it's more daunting experience for for the business owner than than for the employee like right. it, it, it's, it's just so hard I think like it's uh, th- that was like you know, one of the experiences that that were just really like okay like this is really serious like how the hell does uh, anyone else do this uh-huh <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh man, he says he wants double what we wanted to pay him. How do I tell him no? <laughs> Just cross out a zero. <laughs> Throw it back at him. But yeah, I mean, like uh, the business part has always been um, uh, an interest of mine because, like many game developers that go into game development, like that's not something that we look at ever until later <laughs> until we're either doing it or we're thinking about making the jump so um now that you guys have experience and you know you're three games in and many projects more in development would you have any advice to yourself years before before you started that would have made your uh journey a little bit easier and what would those be? Like top two advice. Uh, uh, one is definitely patience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, just to elaborate on that is that early on, we were prob- I was probably just too eager to like do everything at once and uh, and and lack the kind of patience that that comes along with with making games and making great games. Um, and so that, that would, that would be definitely a tip top one, uh, would be patience. Um, another thing is it would be to, uh, to make sure that your games are scalable. Uh, that's definitely, uh, something that we're, we're very trying now to, to focus really, uh, much on is, is, is creating games that that you can scale in terms of uh, you can it would be it's much easier to like finish a game if you're able to uh, scale down the experience and still have it work and uh, also if you if you really figure out that this game uh, really works you're able to scale it up accordingly so if if your games are if you you help yourself out tremendously if you make your games uh, flexible mm-hmm. yeah. Well, were there any issues though 
I guess, as far as planning the game mechanics, you know, you, you might get married to some ideas that you think are great, but then when it comes to like, oh, you know, like you said, scalability, sometimes ideas just don't go, they just don't work. But have you ever had to cut one of those ideas that was like a major part of the experience that you thought at the time, you know, you kind of needed to work around and then maybe you just realize like, all right, yeah, we got to cut this. Uh, yeah, probably we, we cut things all the time, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think we have like this, uh, this, I don't have this really great example of a feature that we, sure, sure. we just married to and, and, you know, developed a lot and had to, uh, had to cut. Um, but we are aware of like those, those things and kind of try to uh, prototype, uh, features extensively before or implementing or spending too much time uh on them yeah is there any interest in like kind of doing sequels or remakes or not excuse me not remakes but continuing franchises or, that you kind of develop instead of doing a like one-off and then do another game and then do another type of game have you guys ever thought about revisiting an idea with an updated version uh yes 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 we have and uh and uh I also personally enjoy games that uh, that that kind of update their uh, their stuff and and uh, like I enjoy re revisiting a, a sequel and and or like it, uh, an, an expansion of a game and that that kind of stuff and um, with with the uh, digital distribution it it makes it much easier to do these kind of things. Mm -hmm. So let's let's shift the conversation to people, right? Uh, we don't have to be specific because I know indie team, when you talk about someone vaguely, you kind of know who it is, <laughs> but like, uh, I would say when you're dealing with more than one person within a team, uh, in any types of business, not just our industry, I would say more than 50% of the complication comes from working with people, right? And just learning how to make a successful business is from working well with others so were there uh any of that um good and bad right uh where you felt like hey you know these are the type of things that we need to keep working at and looking forward to to future candidates uh going forward or um things that we can make better with existing uh colleagues uh yeah, definitely. So uh, I think you're 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 very right at uh, at, at the um, that uh, a lot of uh, you know a lot of prob uh, a lot of the hard things about making games is that you make it with other people. Um, and uh, I think it's one of the things you we probably I'll be looking uh, at when when we hire new people and, and kind of things is that they're not only good at that that trait they do, like they're not just a good artist or a good programmer, but they're also good at communicating because mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the problems kind of, uh, you know, come from is this lack of communication. So being able to communicate, uh, is, is probably like a, it's a, it's a skill set that is highly valued in a, in a, in coming like us where, it, where we don't have middle managers and kind of like, uh, not a, a strict process about how we do things. We we need information to flow organically between uh, team members, and and that's so it's really important that they are 
they are not only good at their trade, but also really good at communicating. So to expand the communication part, right? What kind of tools do you guys use to make the studio flow? Like what kind of things that you guys definitely like, hey, you guys, if you're in your studio, these are the tools that helped us. You know, uh, we went through many different programs and software. These are the ones that we feel like, hey, we can function. With this. this is the software that's going to win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, definitely Slack is just uh, like, it's one of the things when, when I, I look back now, it's like, how did we ever make games without Slack or like how did we communicate without it? It's, it's definitely like, uh, that. that's like, the, you know, that's one of the tools that we're just really like instantly when we, uh, when we start using it, we could see that, you know, this, this is a much better way for us to communicate. It's uh, helps out tremendously. It helps me out a lot because uh, I'm out often be on the road or somewhere else uh, outside the office working, and and it would give me a much more uh, a much easier to way to connect with the uh, with the guys back in the office. So we use Slack extensively, and uh, I don't know. Other than that, we uh, we guess we use. Um, we use Trello for kind of like it uh, as a scrum board thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of other people use this, and I think you can use a lot of other software that that does the same thing. Um, but yeah, that's it's kind of easy with the the Trello boards. <sighs> what else? I don't, I think like Slack is definitely the major uh, communication tool we use. Mm. So, what is the absolute best thing that you can say? that you enjoy about where you work and why you work there? I mean, besides putting it together and building it, you know what I mean? Like what is the, <laughs> what's the, the nuanced thing that only, you know, that you get to experience because the listeners obviously being outsiders, like, you know, let us peek behind the curtain through your answer here. What is, what is the thing that you enjoy most about this company and what continues to make you strive to want to see it be better? Uh, well, we have really good coffee. So, <laughs> uh, but, shout out uh, to the coffee. <laughs> now, apart from that, I think it's it's just um, it's uh, it's this thing about coming together and working um, and utilizing your creativity, mm-hmm. um, being in a like in a room with people that are that you know that you had enabled to uh to use their creativity is uh is very satisfying mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of probably the uh that's what i i kind of get my most enjoyment out of uh, on a daily basis is seeing other people uh being able to leverage their creativity and and utilizing their skill sets okay. And what was the biggest success for your company to date? Not necessarily sales, but the one thing that you guys are the most proud of as a company. Yeah, I don't know. Like the, the biggest success for our team. I, I think that is, uh, that's yet to come. <laughs> oh man, that's actually a really good answer. I like to hear that. That's the sound of someone who's striving for perseverance and, you know, forward momentum. Improvements. Yeah. Well, uh, Mr. Brandon, do you have anything to say? Because you know what I'm about to say. 
Yeah, well, I want to thank you again for for coming on. I mean, from the get go, I know there are many successes that are going to follow, but as far as I can, as a consumer and from the person that appreciate what you guys are doing, like uh, for any title and for such a small team, you guys are acing it with the aesthetics. I feel like what you guys package and are able to do is amazing. Uh, it, it looks like what a triple A team would do and would be able to pull off what you guys have done. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely inspired and, um, whatever ways that you guys come up with these and execute, you know, I'm always interested in, uh, so congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, Klaus, I have to say we have been podcasting for over an hour. Brandon knew this was coming, but you didn't. <laughs> so at this time, we normally take a step off the mic, you know, go refill our coffee. And we let you talk directly to the audience to promote, to shout out or raise awareness for something you're involved in, something you're working on or are very excited about, or just generally kind of shine some light on something that you think, you know, could use a little advertising. So at this moment, the floor is now yours. Uh, okay. Well, thank you. Uh, well, I'll be... Uh selfish enough to uh kind of uh you know um uh, talk a little bit, bit about our most recently uh, uh released game uh called figment which is an um which is an action uh puzzle game with a heavy focus on uh, aesthetics and uh, and an extraordinary uh implementation of uh, music to a degree where we actually uh the game turns into a musical from time to time and I think if you uh, enjoy puzzle games or action games or any kind of uh, uh, games down the line of uh, Bastion or Limbo, you would enjoy playing segments. Oh man, that's all great. And uh, I'm really happy to have you on the episode with us. But I got some Christmas gifts to open. So I'm Larry Charles and I'm saying goodnight. This is Brandon Fam. See you guys next week. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.